Somewhere on a lonely boardwalk, under a malefic sky, someone in gray turns a crank. Listen to the jaws, the teeth. Imagine the whispers that pass between them, the wisdom within the iron. It rests on my little table as all things dance around it on paths carved lifetimes ago. The genius of its design hidden away inside it. This is the liver mortis. It speaks. I listen. And I'm quite sure only I can hear its quiet percipience. I hold the handle firmly. But I mustn't crush it. Only keep turning even and constant. It speaks. Pay me no mind. Enjoy tonight's song and story. I was 8 pounds, 3 ounces when I was born. 34 years ago next month. I was an average baby, born in the typical hospital, on an otherwise uneventful Wednesday in December. Other than the fact that the population of Tiny Mill Creek, Missouri, grew by one that day, there was really nothing noteworthy at all about my birth. 8 pounds, 3 ounces. The only reason I even bring it up is that's almost exactly what I weigh now. Elizabeth and I were on a last-minute getaway in the Smokies. We both had some vacation time that we needed to use up, and we wanted to go somewhere we'd never been before. North Carolina was only a day's drive, so we packed up the dogs and booked a cabin near Great Smoky Mountain National Park. Three days of hiking, sightseeing, and bumming around the town later, it was the last full day of the trip. We thought we'd try one last hike, something short and flat this time. What about Deep Creep Trail, I said. Deep Creep? Yeah, Deep Creep. There's a Deep Creek loop that comes up on all trails, said Liz. 
Is that it? It's just inside the park. Yeah, I guess so. Sarah called it deep creep in her email. Should we bring the guys? No pets allowed, Liz said. Let's leave them here. The beginning of the hike was flat, mostly along the creek, which actually seemed more like a small river. Mountain creeks have a lot of velocity, and even a so-called creek can have churning rapids. We crossed to the north side of the creek at a waypoint that split the trail and headed toward the waterfall, which was marked by a faded wooden sign. Up the hill a ways, we heard water rushing. A narrow trail broke off to the left, which headed down to the falls, but we could see a family below with two fat kids. It seemed like they'd be a while. Let's keep going up the trail, I said. I think we can see the falls from the top anyway. When we reached the top, we could see the clear mountain water cascading down terraces of smooth stones. Want to stop here for a while? Let's keep going, Liz said. If I stop now, my knee will just lock up. As we continued past the falls, Liz pulled out her phone. How far do you want to keep going, Liz said. Google Maps actually had the trail marked. It looks like we can either turn around now or keep going a mile or so and the trail will cut back and the loop should take us back to the parking lot. It looks slightly longer, I said, but at least once we cut back, we'll be heading downhill. What time did we start, noon? Yeah, more like quarter after, maybe 12.20. Okay, so it's 2 o'clock now. If we hit the cut back soon, we should be back at the car by 3.30 or 4 at the latest. Plus, the walk downhill will go faster. When we finally hit the cutback, it was flat, for a while. But then the path started to climb. Straight tall trees stood all along the ridge as the path continued upward, ending in a switchback. Evergreen rhododendrons formed a thick underbrush. I think once we get around the bend up there, we'll be headed back downhill, I said. That's what I thought, and I thought that dozens more times as we climbed higher and higher. Light filtered through the trees and speckled the mossy earth. The air grew more still the higher we climbed, and the sky was whitewashed in the blaze of late afternoon sun. We were tired. The muscles in my shin bones were rigid and raw. Every bend and subsequent incline was a reminder of how far we were from the car, from extra water and from warm clothes. Liz paused to rest and pulled her cell phone from her pocket, waving it in the air in front of her, trying to get a signal. The map loaded slowly in disconnected blocks of pixels. Trying to zoom in with her thumb and index finger sent the entire screen white. Shit, said Liz. She flipped on the camera and took a few photos of rust-colored trees nestled in the fading sunlight. Liz tapped the button to switch the camera into selfie mode and inspected an ashy smudge of mascara on her eye. As she pulled the phone away from her face, something flickered on the screen, standing directly behind her where she stood. What the hell was that? She flattened to the ground, wedged against the log where she had been resting. What happened, I asked. 
I saw something. It was close. Right behind me. I saw it, I swear to God. It was probably a squirrel, I said. There'd been a surprising absence of wild animals on this trip so far. Not a single deer, nary a small woodland creature. Ducks. All we had seen were ducks. We need to get off this mountain before dusk, said Liz. She stood up, still looking into the underbrush where the blur had been. I need your walking stick, she told me, and I need a knife. She sat on the log, facing into the forest, and cradled the stick between her legs. Slicing away from her body, she stripped curls of wood from the tip until it formed a crude point. Bring me another one. She did the same to the second stick and slung it over her shoulder, point facing backward. Cougars always attack from behind, she said. She handed me the other stick and started walking quickly ahead. We need to get off this mountain. Fifteen more minutes had crept by as we hiked in silence. Alert to every snapping twig or falling leaf. Liz checked her phone again. Enough bars to see the map. Look, the trail loops out here, she said. But the in and back are close together because the loop is narrow. We could save time if we go off trail and cut across the loop. We have no idea what the train is like between the two sides of the loop, I told Liz. It could end up taking much longer if we get stuck in a thicket or have to cross a ravine. It's just like this. She gestured into the woods along the trail. I'm doing it. That's an absolutely awful idea, I said, and we are not splitting up. Wait, where's my water bottle? Jesus, you lose everything, said Liz. It's probably back the last place we took a break. Are you seriously going to turn around? I think I set it down just around that last curve to take a photo. Just come with me and then we can take your way and cut through the loop. Liz nodded. I could tell she was getting angrier. We started walking back down the path from where we had just come. I dragged my feet through the padding of leaves to try and fill the silence. Liz followed along in my footsteps, staring down at the dirt I uncovered with the toes of my boots. Wait, said Liz. What? Look. Liz pointed at the trail. Wide paw prints cut through the sandy earth. She brushed aside more leaves. More prints. Something had been following us. Forget the water bottle, she said. She started to run. It was hard work. We shoved our bodies through narrow cages of tree limbs and over slippery rocks. I was right about the train between the loop. We were stumbling down into a crevasse that, at some point, I knew we'd have to climb out of. The rhododendrons were so thick it was hard to see more than a few feet. Some kind of wild rosebush was everywhere as well, and thorns made their way through several layers of clothes, embedding into my skin below. Hold on, I said. Don't go so fast. My boot's untied. Liz didn't hear me. She was poking a shale wall with her stick, testing to see if it would be a good foothold to get up on the other side. As I was finishing with my boot, Liz looked back to make sure I was still there, tossed the stick up on top of the ledge, and then pulled herself up. By the time I made my way over to the ledge, Liz had already cleared it. 
I clambered my way up and could see the brush started to thin. I took a few steps through the last of the underbrush and found Liz standing at the edge of a clearing. Do you see that? said Liz. Flowers? It looks like a cemetery. No, it's not, I said. Up here? There's no road. We're not even on the trail. I think it is. See the outline of the headstones? Dried leaves covered the ground, but every few feet, there was a six or eight inch protrusion. They weren't tall, but this definitely was a graveyard. Later, Liz would read that this was, at one point, a planned stop on an unfinished road to nowhere. Back in the 30s, the federal government had condemned much of the land in this area for the national park. Mountain homesteads and churches were abandoned and demolished, but the old family cemeteries remained. We stepped further into the cemetery, kicking leaves from around the headstones. Some of these aren't that old, I said. I think this place is still in use. How would you get a casket up here, said Liz? Carry it through the woods? I guess so. You can't get a car up here. Liz kept looking over her shoulder. This is just another sign that we shouldn't be here, she said. Can we please keep moving? As if on cue, we both heard the crash of tree limbs. I grabbed Liz by the arm and pulled her into a small ditch between two logs, with a thicket of rhododendrons above. Get down and be quiet. Weaving through the center of the ravine, as if on an invisible path, was a band of mourners. They were clothed in black and gray, the women in antique veils, the men carrying lanterns. We should stay hidden here, said Liz. I don't think these people would take kindly to outsiders. The procession climbed slowly along the switchbacks, finally stopping in the middle of the cemetery. The man who led the procession pulled away a bed of pine boughs to reveal a rectangular hole in the ground. In the hole rested a crude pine coffin. I reckon y'all might want one last look at Willie, said the man. He pulled the lid off the pine box. Even from several yards away, I could see that Willie had been dead for some time. The mourners stood in silence a moment, and the man returned the lid. Liz shifted her weight onto one of the logs to get a better view of the spectacle, but the soft wood gave way and pinned my leg. What in the hell is that? Who in the hell is they? cried the lady. The man turned toward us. Run, I said. No, said Liz. You have to. I'll figure something out. Just get out of here. Liz bolted to the perimeter of the cemetery and disappeared into the brush. The man motioned to two of the other mourners, who quickly leapt over to remove the log from my pinned leg. As I was freed, the man grabbed me by the coat and drug me up toward the grave with astonishing strength for his size and age. This in here is our land, ourn and our kin, said the man. The man pulled a piece of paper out of his pocket. This here is Willie's death papers, and I'll add you to it with my ink pen, said the man. What's your name, boy? I didn't say a word. His name is Adam, said the woman. I can see it on his rucksack. I was knocked out cold by one of the mourners. He ain't gonna fit, I heard the woman say. 
Blurs of orange light swirled and slowly came into focus. The mourners had formed a semicircle around me. I had a pounding headache and my mouth was dry. I turned my head to look for Liz. My neck was so stiff I could hardly move it. I smelled something horrible. I realized I was laid out parallel to Willie's grave. Sure he will. The man pulled out a hunting knife. Foot on my head, he pressed the toe of his boot along the side of my nose and rolled my face into the wet leaves. I felt the damp steel of his blade slide against my skin as he carved all the way around my neck. His knife was well honed and made quick work. He raised his boot several inches and came down hard with his heel to dislodge the cartilage and bone. It came clean off. Holding up my head, the man yelled up the ridge. Here's your man now, and you're next. The mourners raised their lanterns as the man kicked my body into the grave on top of Willie's casket. While I was out, Liz had snuck all the way around the back of the edge of the cemetery. She had a clear view of the man's back. Still holding my head high, the man spun around to scan the area for signs of the other interloper. He looked down and his eyes locked with Liz's. Taking the cougar stick, she stuck the man right beneath his ribs. He recoiled in pain, and as he screamed out, he flung the head off the hill, falling backward perpendicular to the grave. Neither Liz, nor anyone else from the search party, was able to find me. Not the part that counts, at least. She had mortally wounded the man, his wife next. By the time it was over, Liz was speckled with blood. Hers, the man's, the wife's, mine. The rest of the mourners had run off, and she was left with two cooling bodies and my torso and limbs. There was no interrogation, no trial. The police said families take care of their own justice around here, at least when it came to family matters, and that's what they called this. My body was sent back to Missouri for the burial. Liz, my parents, and friends, and family were all there. I was still in North Carolina. I still am in North Carolina. My carpet is moss. My pillow is limestone. My windows are blue and gray patches of sky I glimpse through waving rhododendrons. I get a little smaller each week. 11 pounds, 10 pounds, 9. Today I'm 8 pounds 3 ounces. But tomorrow I'll still be here, high and lonesome, in my mountain home.
Just one more again. I don't think I. 